You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. My name is Eric Bonkowski, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and we're really glad that you've joined us to worship God and to learn from God's Word today. You know, the Christian life is often described as a two-part process. One of the frequent metaphors for describing this is breathing, that in Breathing, we breathe in and we breathe out. And that's a very helpful description of the Christian life and how we need to take in the truth of God's word and the grace of Jesus. But we also need to extend that to others, to the people around us, to the world around us. Breathing works well as a metaphor. But you know what else works well as a metaphor? Cycling. That's right. I was thinking about that this week, that uh, in cycling, there are two parts to the pedal stroke. The one that we're most familiar with is pushing down on the pedals to make the, the wheels turn. But equally important is pulling up on the pedals, especially if you're a fancy pants cyclist and you have the fancy cycling shoes that clip in to the pedals. These were only invented around 1984, and before that, maybe you have seen bikes that have the little uh, the clips in the cages on the, the flat pedals to try to keep your toe in there so you can get some of that upward pull when you're cycling. But if you really want to be efficient and proficient at cycling, you have to get the special shoes so that you can push down and pull up. And it makes you tons more efficient when you're cycling. And it's kind of a rite of passage for every cyclist who gets to the point and says, okay, I'm going to be that guy with the fancy shoes, right? Because you clip in, and at first you feel like, I'm going to die on the bike, because how do I clip my foot out of the pedal when it's time to stop? And it's a rite of passage that every cyclist, when they first clip into the pedals, two or three times when they're out on a ride, they fall over. And it usually happens when you're at a red light and there are lots of cars so everyone can see you and think that you're a fool. But it's a price that we pay for greater efficiency because it's a two-part process. The push and the pull of the Christian life is just like that. And there, there are a number of ways we can talk about this, but what I want you to think about is the, the spiritual renewal that we have, the inner spiritual renewal, sends us outward in mission. And it works like a cycle. As we're renewed, we go out in mission. And as we go out in mission, we are renewed. It's the inhale and exhale of the Christian life. For the last month here at City Church, we've been focused a lot on the inhale and the interior life. We've talked about being a praying church. And for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to be a going church. Because just as this applies for us as individuals, breathing in spiritually and uh, breathing out in our outreach and care for others, so as a church we need to be cultivating habits that feed our spiritual lives and we need to be going. Going out into the world to care for the world, to take the gospel to other places. 
push and pull. Breathe in, breathe out. Mission and renewal, they go together. We must be a praying church and we must be a going church. So the next three Sundays, we're going to talk about what it looks like to be a going church. Today, I'm going to talk about going in the word. And then next week on Mission Sunday, we're going to have one of our ministry partners, Phil Davis, who has been a church planner in Prague for the last 20 years. He's going to talk to us about what it looks like to go in church planting. And then on November 19th, Harrison's going to talk about what it looks like to go indeed in hospitality with our embodied lives. We must be a going church. Now, to get into this, we're going to read some scripture. And today we're going to read from 1 Thessalonians in chapter 1 and into the very beginning of chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, open to 1 Thessalonians 1. I'm going to read from uh, chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 4. It's also printed in your worship guide, and you're welcome to follow along there as well. Let's give our attention here to God's Word. It says this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Gracious Father, we acknowledge that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. May your enduring word make its impact on our hearts and our lives today. We pray this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So what I want to talk to you about today is two things. One, the word that we go in and how we go in the word. So we're a going church. And one of the ways that we need to be a going church is by going in the word. Well, first let's talk about what is the word that we go in. The word, of course, is the word of the gospel. It's the word of Jesus. It's the word that Paul and his friends took to Thessalonica, where a church got started early on. 
And in this passage, I, wanna, I want you to look back over it, and if you're following along in your Bible or in your worship guide, I would encourage you to underline every place that it talks about the word, because maybe you missed them as I read through it. There are multiple examples. The first that I came up with is in uh, verse 5 of chapter 1. It says, because our gospel came to you not only in the word. If it came not only in the word, then it definitely came in the word. And then next, in verse 6, it says, you became imitators of us and the Lord for you received the word. Verse 8, the word of the Lord sounded forth from you. Then you jump down into chapter 2, and again, we see a few more examples of this. In verse 2, it says that we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God. There's a declaration, there's a speaking, there's words of the gospel. And then in verse 4, that you, uh, to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Five times in these verses, Paul draws specific attention to the word and how he went with the word to the Thessalonian church. Well, what do we learn about this word that Paul goes in, that the church is called to go in? We learn three things about it. First, we learn that the word that we go in is simple. It's a simple word. The word we go in is the simple, unadorned good news about Jesus Christ. That's the word that the church is called to go in, the gospel of God. And this we see in chapter 1, verse 5, which I just read, because our gospel came to you, the good news came to you. And then in chapter 2, verse, or chapter two, verse 4, entrusted with the gospel. This is Paul's shorthand. When he talks about the good news, when he talks about the gospel, he's talking about the simple message of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is a rescuer, that he's the savior from sin, that he came and lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross, that he rose again and he promised to come again. That is the simple word that we go in. He says this also as he's talking about the faith of the Thessalonians. Uh, he talks about the steadfastness of their hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the word. That's the simple word. The word of the gospel that's laser focused on who Jesus Christ is. And uh, next week when uh, Phil is here, he's going to be talking about church planting. And he's going to do that from Acts 17. Why Acts 17? Well, Acts 17 is the passage where Luke records the start of the church. In Thessalonica. And Paul's the one who started it. And you know how it started? It started with Paul going to the synagogue in Thessalonica and preaching about Jesus Christ. The simple word about Jesus Christ. What actually happened in history. How God dealt with sin. That is the simple word that the church is supposed to go with. It's a simple word. It's not just a simple word though. It's also a powerful word. Did you see that in this passage as well? As Paul is talking about this simple word of Jesus Christ, he's saying it's a very powerful word. It says in verse 5, because our gospel came to you not only in word, right? It came in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. That word power means dynamite. When the word comes into a life, it's like dynamite. It blows up things. It reorients things. It's transformative would be another word. It's transformative, changes everything. 
the word that we go in is a simple word, but it's also a transformative word. Paul explains what this power, what this transformation looks like a little bit later on in the passage. In verse 9, he's talking about the Thessalonians and he says, For they themselves report the reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. That is the power of the simple word of the gospel. It is transformative. It takes people from worshiping idols to worshiping the true God. And if you're a believer in Christ here this afternoon, you know that power in your life. Because your life was changed. You once were lost and now you're found by the power of the word. The transformation of the word. What Paul is describing there in verse 9 is uh, what we, uh, the word we use to describe that is repentance. The word, the simple word of the gospel brings repentance to the believing heart. I was walking in one direction, and I turned and walked another way. Here's the thing about the power of the word in a life. It must be present tense. It must be a present repentance. Present tense. I think too often, most of us who call ourselves Christian, we are living with a past tense repentance. Repentance? Oh yeah, that's something I did one time, a long time ago. No. No. The power of the word, the power of the simple gospel in every life has to be living and active. What did you repent of today? What did you repent of this week? That's the power of the word that comes into our lives and that we go into the world with. The word we go in is a simple word, but it's a powerful word. And thirdly, lastly, it's a beloved word. Or it's a word about our belovedness. The word we go in is the word of our belovedness by the Father. Look again at chapter 1, verse 4. It says this, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God. What is the word? The word of the gospel that Paul says again and again. It's your loved. You are loved by the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. He never wants to deviate far from that. That's the content of the word. We have to hold fast to that great truth. Our belovedness by God. It's the gospel in one word, love. Loved by God. Although we deserve punishment, although we deserve the consequences of our sin, we are loved. And what does this love produce? Well, Paul tells us a little bit later on in the passage that it produces joy. The joy of the Holy Spirit. What is the word that we go in? It's the word of our belovedness that produces a joy in us. And as we stay close to that simple, powerful word of our belovedness, it ought to overflow in joy. We can't stop talking about it. It's belovedness for us. And here's why that's so important. If you don't understand the word as a word of your belovedness, you will never go. That's how it works. You have to understand that this word of God, this simple, powerful word of the gospel, has come to you with such good news of your belovedness that you are compelled to go out with it. How can we be a going church? Well, first, we must be a loved church. We must know our belovedness and sing about it and talk about it so that we then will tell others about it. Because this belovedness, this word, this simple, powerful word of the gospel of our belovedness, it's not just for us. 
It's for all that God has chosen. And that's what makes us a going church. You see, it's so important here to start with what is the word that we go in before we move on to the second part, which is how we go in the word. And that's what I want to talk about for the rest of our time this afternoon. How do we go in this word? And it's going to sound somewhat similar to what I've already said. We go in the word, first off, we go simply. It's a simple word, right? The the word of the gospel is simple. It's about Jesus. Well, how are we to go then? We are to go simply. The word is simple and we go simply. And we should simply go. What do I mean in saying that we should go simply? Here's what I mean. Stop overcomplicating sharing the gospel. You know, I don't know where it's come from, but we have in our minds or we have in our lives this this thought that, well, I can't do it. I'm not prepared. I don't know the right answers. I haven't taken enough classes. I haven't studied the Bible. I don't have enough of it memorized. I need to go to another apologetics course. No, you don't. You simply need to speak the simple, powerful word of your belovedness. When Jesus interacts with people in the Gospels, I love tracing how he interacts with people, how he transforms their lives by the power of his grace. And they all want to stay with him. They say, hey, can I follow you around? Because this is good stuff. And he says, no. Again and again, he says, no, go home to your people. And he doesn't say, lead a lecture on systematic theology. He says, go and tell the people how the God has had mercy on you. It's simple. Can you do that? Could you tell another person about how God has had mercy on you? How your sins have been forgiven? How you didn't deserve it, but you found love in God? Go simply. Think about some of the people Jesus interacted with. There was a woman whose life he he changed. And she went uh, to everyone in her town and she said, could this man be the Christ? Just a question. Or the first disciples, as they had an interaction with Jesus, and then they ran to, to find their brother or ran to find their friend, and they said, come see a man. Could this be Jesus? Could this be the Savior? The woman at the well who said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Right? Could you simply tell another person about how God, through Jesus, knows you better than you know yourself? Stop overcomplicating it. Go in the word simply. Here's a quick application of that. I think that applies for most of us. It's close to home. It's with your family. Do you have a family member who isn't a Christian? someone who doesn't believe the gospel. When I first became a Christian, I thought that the way that I would uh, interact with my family was, I I complicated it. I thought I needed like some philosophical treatise to present to them about what I believed. And then I started having conversations with my sister and I just began to give witness to the power of God at work in me and through me. Could this be the Christ for you? They don't need a sermon. They need a testimony. They need to hear about how your life was changed by Jesus. Go simply. So go in the word simply. Second, go in the word personally. 
here's where I'm getting that in verse 5. It says in the second half of verse 5, You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. You see, Paul and his friends who went to the church in Thessalonica, they lived with them. They had personal relationships with these people. And so he's calling back to that and he says, you know who we were? You saw our strengths and our weaknesses. You saw our warts. You saw everything about us. Go personally. Our society, I think, is becoming more and more impersonal. All the more reason that as we go in the word, we need to go personally. Our society is also becoming more and more bespoke, right? There, everything is fi- uh, finely tailored just to you and your likes and your preferences. And so the way that we go in the word needs to be more and more bespoke too. It's not one size fits all. You need to know the people that you're talking to and apply this simple word of the gospel to them. Go simply and go personally. Where did Paul go when he was uh, preaching the gospel? Do you know? He went to each city and he went to the synagogue. Why did he go to the synagogue? Well, that's where all the religious people went. That's where they had this tradition of philosophical and spiritual discussions. We don't have synagogues anymore. I mean, literally we do, but figuratively we don't have those places in our society. I think the synagogues that we're called to are synagogues often of two or three people. It's a couple of coworkers over lunch. It's a couple of neighbors around a fire pit. And because you know them personally, you share the simple word of the gospel with them personally. You apply it to the places that are tender spots in their lives. You apply it to their questions. And you say, yeah, I think Jesus is the answer for that too. You go in the word personally. Stephen's actually a great example of this on the, the trip to Germany. He told me afterwards, he was like, yeah, I got to share the gospel twice, once on the flight over and once on the flight back because of the person I was sitting next to. The person I was sitting next to, I didn't want to talk to, because, and it, not read, he was on one side. Um, <laughs> I was g- glad to talk to him, he didn't want to talk to me, it turns out. Um, I didn't want to talk to the guy next to me because he was one of those guys that hogs the armrest. I was so ticked at him the whole time. But Stephen personally shared the gospel and applied it to each of their stories. Simple. You know, we've had these harvest parties the last couple weeks, and I had a friend last Saturday as we were getting ready for our harvest party who said, uh, he texted me and was like, hey, we're not doing any church stuff at this, right? And I said, no, 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 we're not doing any church stuff. We're not going to get up and preach the gospel. And yet, if you went to one of these harvest parties, you know that we were doing church stuff, weren't we? Because we were able to personally share the gospel. Maybe you had a conversation like that with a friend or a neighbor or someone that you just met there, applying the simple gospel personally to them in the places of their pain and the places of their need. So how do we go in the word? We go simply, we go personally, and lastly... We go boldly. How do we go in the word? We go boldly. Look again at chapter 2, verse 2. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God. At Philippi, Paul and his friends were basically run out of town. They were threatened. Their lives were threatened. That's what had happened. They were shamefully treated. They were beaten. And that didn't stop 
their boldness. How do we go in the gospel? What does it look like to be a going church? Well, it means to go boldly. You've heard that phrase before, right? Uh, Preach the gospel always, use words when necessary. To kind of paraphrase Jesus, I'll put it this way. You have heard that it was said, preach the gospel always, use words when necessary. But I say to you, preach the gospel always, use words usually. A couple things about that statement. It's often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. He never said it, first off. Second off, it's just not true. When you read the Bible, when you look at Paul, when you look at the apostles, they preach the word with words. And I know the point of that message, okay? I know the point of that aphorism, right? It's that you're supposed to live a life that shows forth Christ, absolutely. But we use it as an excuse to never speak the gospel. Speak the word boldly. Because it's the truth, it's the hope, it's your belovedness, it's joy. And as it is for you, so it is for other people. May we be filled with the boldness that the apostles were filled with. How do we go in the word? We go boldly. We go speaking and preaching and teaching and singing the gospel. It says... um, In chapter 2, verse 4, as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Paul doesn't say, so we live a life that faintly shows the gospel and sometimes we speak. He says, we speak the gospel. And that, that admonition is for you too. Speak the gospel. Be bold to do it. Talk about the name of Jesus. What I'm saying here, and don't take this too much out of context, don't trust your pastor. Here's what happens a lot of times. You think, I'll just live a life uh, that is kind of nice and Christian, and if I do that long enough and intensely enough, then my friend or my family member will come to church, and I'll trust my pastor to speak the gospel. No, speak the gospel boldly. Don't trust your pastor. The other phrase that uh, happen, that we, we talk about a lot um, is, well, I have to earn the right to be heard. And yes, that's true. You need to have relationships. You need to be meaningfully caring for people in your life to earn the right to be heard. But most of you have earned the right to be heard. And you still haven't been heard because you haven't been bold to speak the gospel. And, and if you have earned the right to be heard for long enough and you don't say anything for long enough, you lose the right to be heard. Speak the gospel with boldness. You ever have anyone in your life who you were friends with for a long time, years, maybe decades, and you were a good Christian friend and a good Christian witness to them, but you never spoke the word of Jesus to them? And then they came to you later. After they had heard the gospel that someone else had told them. And they come to you and they say, why didn't you ever tell me? Why didn't you tell me this truth that you knew? Why were you afraid to speak boldly? To be a going church, we need to go in the word boldly. 
in the primary way your boldness will manifest. Let me turn the knife a little bit. The primary way that your boldness will manifest is through your vulnerability. I think a lot of times we think about this and we're like, okay, Eric said, speak the truth boldly. And we think in our heads, well, I am going to speak the truth about other people boldly. I'm going to tell them what they did wrong. What if you flipped that around and said, no, I'm going to speak the truth boldly and I'm going to start with the truth about me. We are broken people. Loved by God. Continually restored by Christ and sent out to tell others that simple story. At our harvest party last Saturday evening, the best part for me was the after party, as it often is. A few of us and a couple of my neighbors, um, when my neighbors set up the MLB, the World Series game on a screen outside and we, um, we hung out. And while we're doing that, one of my friends started talking about his divorce and remarriage. And one of my neighbors, non-believing neighbors, said, oh yeah, I know what that's like. I was married at 25 and divorced at 28. And that moment opened the door to be able to share about the good news of forgiveness and grace and love. And where did it start? It started with vulnerability. Most most of the boldness that you'll be required to do is starting with your vulnerability. We go in the word simply and personally and boldly because the word has come to us through Jesus. This simple, powerful word of our belovedness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gospel that has come to us in the words of scripture and most notably and climactically in the incarnate word of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, today help us to believe again the hope and the joy and the life that is in that word and may we be compelled to go out into our lives, to our areas of influence, with that word and in that word. We pray that as we do, you would get all the glory. We pray this through Jesus. Amen.